0: Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. So the title of the message this morning is, why missions? Isn't missions a lot of trouble? all the missionaries, all of their ministries. Why do we do that? When we were missionaries to Tanzania, we had to ship our belongings in a sea container like this one. It was a lot of trouble to pack that. I also shipped this one all the way from, Tanzania, from Kenya to Brazil. When we were in language school though, in Kenya, almost ready to go to Tanzania, we uh, took a trip down to Mombasa, to the coast, to practice our Swahili. Swahili was spoken better down there, so halfway to three-fourths way through your language school, you always went down to practice the language. After spending about a week there, we, because we had two preschoolers, we decided to stop at... Uh, a roadside uh, lodge, but in this case, it was Boy Safari Lodge, because there's no roadside hotels in Kenya, at least not on the main highway. And so we watched as about a pride of 14 lions tried to make make a kill on some Cape Buffalo. Um, That evening we went to dinner with our children who were about four and seven years old. And we went down into a photo blind and uh, we entered a cave-like structure that was called a photo blind. Went down 10 steps to a landing, 10 more steps, where we were in a large room about the size of this platform. In In front of the, in the middle of the room was a uh, picture window about the size of the big screen. And you could see all the animals that you associate with Africa. We saw, cape okay, buffalo, elephant, giraffe, uh, zebra. But then it was, it was in the night and we heard a very loud roar. Now, there's nothing like the roar of a lion in the middle of the night, especially when you're not at a zoo. <laughs> and uh, we decided, well, maybe we just should get back up to, to the lodge. We got halfway back up the stairs and out of the corner was a a window, just about as far as just past the piano from me, and inside the window was framed the head of a large lion. He could understand that perhaps there was someone in there, but he couldn't really see us. We went all the way up to the area where the door was, and much to my horror, the door would not shut all the way. Now, we did not want to stay there overnight, or at least I didn't. So we called for help. My wife says I didn't call very loud. And nobody came. So I was determined not to spend the night down there. I wanted to get help from my family. We were surrounded by 14 lions. We heard scratching on the roof. We knew they were out there. I banged it as hard as I could to scare away the lions. Then I opened the door and I ran up the hill as fast as I could. It happened to be the exact day in 1984 when Carl Lewis won the 100 meter dash in the LA Olympics. (laughs) But I guarantee you I could have outrun him that day because I was motivated. I got to the top of the hill and the, the East African game parks, the front desk is outside because the weather is nice all year round. And I told the desk clerk, Uh, My family was trapped by lions. He said, sure. And I said, can you help me? And he said, yeah, I'll go get your family away from the lions. He didn't think there were any. But he got about halfway down, and I was about 20 yards behind him. I decided I would let him lead the way. (laughs) And um, he got about halfway down, and he said in Swahili, Twindani, which means let's get out of here, roughly translated. And so we went back up the hill, and we called the Kenyan army. And, and the army is kind of associated with the game officials also, but they were in battle fatigues, had machine guns. Fortunately, they didn't have to use them, but they did a perimeter movement, moved down the hill, and the lions were seated in the darkness. And I remember one soldier had my four-year-old son in his arm. Another soldier was leading my seven-year-old daughter by the hand, and my wife was following uh, up the hill behind them. About 20 minutes after this happened, the the desk clerk came after we were already in our room. He told us, come on out here and look. And sure enough, the 14 or 15 lions were seated right in front of where we had been. Now, um, we went on to Tanzania and served for a term and a half, came back to the States because we, our third child was born mentally handicapped. We had to be in the States a while where I pastored again. My pastorates were in Phoenix, Arizona and Monterey Park, California. But um, then God called us back to the mission field after two years. And so we went to North Africa and then we went back down to Kenya. And so my daughter, who has started the first grade when she was six and a half, almost seven, uh, was now a senior in high school. So she was at the same school that she started when we had the lion incident. So I said, for your senior trip, let's go back to where all that happened and see what it's like. Well, when we arrived, they both, each one took a friend. Um, We noticed they had made some improvements They had built a wall from the lodge all the way down, two-sided wall, 10 feet high, from the lodge down to the photo blind. That's a good improvement, lines can't, hopefully can't jump that. And then I asked, was there anybody there that had worked at this game lodge 12 years earlier? There were two men that were still working there. So I found one of them, and I asked him, do you ever have any trouble with lions? He said, one time. And then he looked at me, and he said, that was you, wasn't it? And indeed it was. So that wasn't the smartest thing I ever did, trying to outrun a lion. And I don't know if I actually outran the lion, because I didn't look back to see if I was being chased. So we realized God protected us in a mighty way. So why missions? Is it worth it? I would say yes, and here are the reasons. In your bulletin is an outline, and there's blanks if you wanna fill them out. You don't have to. But, because everything I'm gonna provide for you and the outline's also on the screen. I believe there are three reasons why missions is important, and missions is worth it, and worth your church investing as much as they do in missions. First of all, the nearby are neglected. In Acts chapter 8, 4 through 6, and verse 25, which the pastor read part of Acts chapter 8. Let's read verses 4 through 6. Acts chapter 8. Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip, as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. And then, verse 25, so when they solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back down to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many of the Samaritans. So the nearby in Philip's day were the Samaritans. The Samaritans appear first in the Old Testament. And I have the verses provided in your, back, in your uh, outline. But the first place that you, we see them are in 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6, we read, and you can turn there if you like, but you don't have to. In, our ninth, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. And carried Israel away into exile into Assyria and settled them in the Halath and Habor on the river of Gozan and the cities of the Medes. And then verse 24, the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon from Cuthuth and Ava and Hamath and Seraphim and settled them in the cities of Samaria in place of the sons of Israel. So they possessed Samaria and lived in the cities. So this is what the Scripture says in 2 Kings 17, verse 34, about the Samaritans. And it's a good summary. To this day they do according to their earlier customs. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law or the commandments which the Lord commanded the sons of Jacob whom he named Israel. So, this is why the Jewish people disliked the Samaritans so much. It's because the king of Assyria had pulled Israel out, that is, the people of Samaria, sent them all over the, na- the kingdom of Assyria, all over the world really, in the known world, and then take, taken some of those nations and plugged them into. This empty space in Samaria, the poor people were left behind, intermarried, created the Samaritans. And they continued on until we see them again as they reappear in the New Testament in John chapter 4, verses 35, uh, verse 24, and 33 through 34. So in this passage of Scripture, Jesus speaking to his disciples, was talking about the Samaritans. And this is a familiar passage about the woman at the well. We know that Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's what it says in chapter 4, verse 5. And he had to pass through Samaria. We know the story about how Jesus encountered the woman at the well. But after uh, the woman at the well believed, encouraged her fellow um, members of the city of Sychar to believe, Jesus describes the opportunity to his disciples. He said, Do do you not say there are four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are already white for harvest. And many commentators think that Jesus was looking up at the hills of Samaria seeing the white clothing of all the Samaritans coming down to hear about him because of the testimony of the woman. So did you know, though, that there are Samaritans still today, real Samaritans? Now, there's not many of them, but there are still Samaritans today. Yes, there's somewhere between 700 and 900 Uh, I looked on the internet uh, uh, just yesterday, and it's actually either 747 or 847. The The number vary, but this is a people group, a legitimate people. They're not Muslims, they're not Christians, and they're not Jews. They are still the Samaritans following their ancient religion. That was half the religion of Assyria, and half the religion of Israel, and put it together, and it was just wrong. That's why the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. There are neglected people today like the Samaritans. Many of these live in North America. Here in El Paso, and by the way, uh, my wife grew up in El Paso. She went to Bottom Elementary School and Eastwood High School, and she's sitting right there. And she was hoping there'd be somebody here that was with her in grade school. Because she can remember every name of every person she ever went to school with, even today. So you come up and talk to my wife. And, and by the way, she, she said she really wants to come back and live here after being back. She lived here until she was 16. And the pastor said, amen, I just heard that but El Paso has so many unreached peoples living here. But many years ago, I was stationed at King Salmon Air Force Base in Alaska. My first job was in the ministry was with North American Mission Board missionary Don Rollins. Now, Don Rollins had a dog sled team, hunted moose and caribou, and flew an airplane that was fitted with pontoons or skis, depending on whether it was snow or the snow had melted. The North American mission board missionaries, like Don Rollins, reached many of the Native American tribes in North America. Now, you may say, I could never go be a missionary in Alaska. Well, the, the problem that Don Rollins told me that he had was that he would always beat the Native Americans in his dog sled races. Okay? They didn't like that very much because he was from Florida. (laughs) And he could defeat, I forgot to tell this in the first story. so this is the first time I'm telling this. So he was able to, so he decided he would just start losing, even though he really could win. So if God calls you, you can do anything. Now, I spent a year in Alaska in the Air Force, and I decided I would never live where it snowed all the time. And so I've been in the tropics ever since. I call myself a tropical preacher. (laughs) So where can you find these neglected groups? You can go to the NAM website, which is also operated with the International Mission Board, peoplegroups.org or peoplegroups.info. Many of the neglected people live around the corner. So what's the best way to reach the neglected that are in Alaska, or the Native American tribes in Arizona and and, uh, New Mexico close by here, and some in Texas. Well, you can sign up for a mission trip. If you go into the foyer, you'll see the mission trips that are available. One here in this area, another going to Houston, and this church provides many opportunities to go on local missions. Through the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which is the counterpart of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is for missions in the United States. And, as I said, by going yourself. So first of all, the nearby are neglected. Why missions? Secondly, The far away are inaccessible. Let's go back to Acts, verses 26 through 38. Now, the pastor read most of it, so I'm just going to read a verse or two. But the first one in verse 26 says, in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Go up and join to the south, to the road that uh, descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Now did you catch that word? Gaza. There's a lot going on in Gaza right now. So in Philip's day, Gaza was a place. It's still a place, and it's still having difficulty. Philip was pumped. He went where God told him to, a desert road on the road from Gaza. God called my wife and I to missions at the Gloriata Baptist Conference Center when I was pastoring in Monterey Park, California, the first Chinese majority city in the United States, still over 70% Chinese. We thought we were doing missions enough, but God spoke to us and we decided to go to. Both of us were called together to go to that, that city. One's uh, Tanzania, And so this is Mze Malongo, he was a former, uh, you would call him a shaman, a witch doctor, and I was walking the city with uh, a man I was discipling, and we shared Christ with him, and he believed. Now with a shaman, you have to be very careful because of you're not quite sure what they believe or how much they believe. So I'll tell you a story about why missionaries have to have some really good training. And the missionaries you saw up here, so many different opportunities, so many different ministries, all of them are specialized in missions. And this is why it takes some specialization. When we first landed in our our city of Mwanza, Tanzania, there was a family of owls that lived on the hill above our house. And uh, there was also a leopard that lived behind our house, but we weren't weren't so keen to meet him. But the owl, one of the little owls, fell down and broke its wing. Uh, It was not a baby owl, but it wasn't a full-grown owl. It was somewhere in the middle. So uh, my children, being four and seven at the time, said, Dad, we've got to take care of this owl. I, that's not really what I wanted to do. I didn't feel like I was sent to be a missionary to repair owls' wings. But I went to a Hindu veterinarian and I learned that you can put a cast on the wing of an owl. Did you know that? So if you ever see a bird that, that is having difficulty, you can put a cast on there, if God leads you to. Uh, and so I did. And I learned that an owl eats a kilo of meat a day. That's 2.2 pounds. Now, the only reason I was able to do that is that as as someone in Tanzania, I had to shoot wildebeest and Topi, food for the table. And a friend of mine had taught me how to field dress a large animal because a wildebeest is the size of an elk. I don't think I could do it today, nor do I want to. But uh, we, I learned something, though, about owls. Because there was some mumbling in the church, they started saying, uh, Brother Robin, in our culture, owls are, the, uh, the, uh, are, the, are those that do the bidding of the witch doctors. And in fact, the Sukuma people believe that owls carry the witch doctors and the witches And the shamans own their wings to their coven meetings. And it's a symbol of evil. And they're wondering maybe if you're a witch doctor and that you're here and you're not really who you say you are. That's why missionaries have to go to a training school to learn the culture of the peoples that they're reaching. And so the far away are people like the Sukuma. Look at verse 20. He reached one from a very far away place, which I call ancient Mero. Look at verse 27. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch or court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this city state of Mero. But how do we know that this is where he came from? Well, just as all the kings of Egypt were called Pharaoh, there was a dynasty of queens that ruled this city-state. There was a Candace one, a Candace two, Candace three. Luke was so precise that we can locate this place that I've been to three different times. The Beja people live in these, near these pyramids. In fact, I took this picture and I got these nomads to walk right in front of these pyramids. And this is the people group that we work with. So I brought a couple of things to show you. This is their sword. All the men carry a sword, as well as about 30, 35% of the women. And so a woman with a sword is a dangerous thing. And this is their coffee, uh, coffee maker, really. So they will brew five cups of coffee five times a day. They start in the morning, 10 o'clock, noon, afternoon, and evening. They drink 25 cups of espresso. uh, And they they pretty much subsist off of uh, camel's milk and coffee. Now, they offered me camel's milk, but I just could never take it but I could drink the coffee with them for sure. Also, it says, verse 24, returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. This is not the chariot of Ben-Hur and Charlton Heston. This is an ox cart, which is, I guarantee you, the slowest form of transportation. You can walk faster Than an ox cart can move. And so, this is how he was able to run up and join the chariot, and he asked, Do you understand what you're reading? Now, have you ever wondered if he was reading how he asked him, Do you understand what you're reading? The reason is in ancient times, until about 150 years ago, did you know, no one read silently. People always read aloud. Can you imagine in school if we all read aloud? But that's the way it was. And so he could—he knew what he was going to be, what he was saying, because he was reading aloud. And so he tells him, Philip was available, and said, "Go up and join this church. Now, one of the aspects of a missionary's job is to look for seekers. This is me baptizing uh, uh, Muhammad in a river in North Africa. These are two other Muslim Muslims. One of them accepted the Lord, the one on the left, the other one did not. Philip joins the chariot. He asks the Ethiopian, if he understands, and he says, "How can someone how can I unless someone guides me?" The word "God" there is the word paraclete, which means, the word we translate for the Holy Spirit, the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And so he is guided to the Lord. So the guiding ministry of the missionary is paramount. He looks for seekers, leading them to Christ, training them in discipleship. Because once someone comes to Christ, the hard work begins of discipleship. These are three of my national leaders in Africa. All three came to the Lord. All three were tortured for their faith. And by the way, between the services, I saw on uh, a news alert on my phone from the Christian Post that 11 YWAM uh, missionaries were killed yesterday. They died in a horrific, uh, automobile accident at, near their training center in Arusha. So we need to be praying for the families because usually these YWAM workers are are younger people in their 20s or go out for short-term missions. And we have a, a YWAM couple here that we're introduced and in. uh, our hearts go out to you and your mission because um, it's a tragic thing when a missionary perishes overseas. But missions is a tough and dangerous work. And those of us that travel overseas, uh, we have to be prepared that, yes, we may also give our lives, just as the martyrs in the New Testament gave their lives as well. So the inaccessible are called unreached peoples today. The bees are one of these unreached peoples. Here's a meeting of the first church among the Beja. I didn't plant the church myself, but those that were working with me did. The map, This map shows all the churches started by Baptists. And these are our leaders in North Africa. So my wife and I have been going back to North Africa to train our national believers. And this picture is just from two years ago. So the work has grown over the last number of years. And these are the leaders that came together. My wife taught the women. I taught the men. And uh, even despite the civil war that is going on right now, they're still remaining faithful. So how can you reach those that are far away? By engaging one of the 3,800 unreached people groups through the IMB emphasis. The IMB will sponsor uh, a, a particular uh, area of the world and a people group. Or you may work with one of these, all these, uh, we probably would have had 30 or 40 different missions up here. Work with one of these missions agencies. Or by going yourself, if you go in the foyer, you have a trip that this church is planned for Kenya. Sign up for that trip. You also are featuring an unreached people group on your missions bulletin board, the Tajiks of Afghanistan. There's also the Tajiks of Tajikistan. So please become involved because your church is already a great missions church. But you can personally go yourself. Well, thirdly, the newly saved are rejoicing. So why missions, the nearby are neglected, Secondly, the far away are inaccessible. And thirdly, the newly saved are rejoicing. In verses 39 and 40, when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in the Zotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel in all the cities until he came to Samaria. Now, I often used to say when I was a pastor, I never lost anyone in the baptistry. But in this case, they lost the person baptizing because the Ethiopian was still there, but Philip was caught up, and the word is to catch up in the air. And so he found himself at Azotus. So Azotus was Old Testament Ashdod. Now, some of you are thinking, well, so what? I don't know where Ashdod was, but... Ashdod was one of the five cities of the Philistines. And if you look at the book of Samson, uh, the book of Judges, and, and read the story about Samson, you'll see the five cities of the Philistines. Did you know that the word Palestine in Arabic is Philistines? And where did the Ethiopian go on the Gaza Road? So he went back to where he started. You see, Philip took on the hard cases, the inaccessible, the neglected, the Samaritans, the Ethiopians, and the Philistines, or the successors of the Philistines. So what is God calling you to do? Will you look at your world differently from the inside out? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we are here this morning in your sight. I would pray that someone here might be called to missions, might be called to participate in missions in this church. But I know there are some here today who need to, like the Ethiopian, believe. We have preached Jesus this morning. Would you believe, if you're here today, make that same decision that the Ethiopian made when Philip guided him through the Scripture and believe in Christ. You can believe in Christ by simply following me in this prayer, as I pray aloud, you could pray silently. Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for that sin, and I repent of that sin. I ask that you come into my heart and my life, and make me into a new person, and let me follow you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.